All right, well, glad that you're here this morning. As you can tell, retiring means that you get a lot more busy at church. Am I on or am I not on? Am I on? Okay. Retiring means you're at church. Walton retired last week, and this week we got him to do both the welcome and the communion. Right after my message, Walton will lead us in a closing prayer. No, actually, Dennis will lead us in a closing prayer this morning. But thank you, Walton, for passing on uh, the Owls ministry, this really important ministry to seniors that we love here at our church. Uh, This week and next week, we're talking about following. This is a discipleship series. In fact, we're going to do this for four weeks, but this week and next week in particular, I'm really glad that we have this Owls topic in front of us, that we're thinking about ministering to these senior loved members in our congregation. Because people who are in their 70s and 80s, I don't know that they've all been Christians for for years and years, but many of them have been Christians for a long time and have been modeling for us for decades what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so there's this this fascinating thing that happens in the church whereby by us modeling Jesus, By you and I modeling Jesus by going to serve someone who is our senior, we often learn how to follow Jesus better because they model it for us. And so this this opportunity that you have, you can, as Walton said, you can mark on the little card in your bulletin today. If you would like to get into this program to serve with some of the senior adults, doing that can be a fantastic example, a fantastic way of you furthering your own discipleship journey with Jesus. Amen, Walton? Amen, church? Amen. Okay, and so I'm excited about that opportunity. Now today, as we get into this series, and we really introduced it last week, but today we're going to start defining what we're talking about. I want you to know this is the title for this morning. We're talking about apprenticeship, and so today's lesson is called Apprentice, the Imitation of Jesus. But before we get there, let's walk a little bit through what a disciple is. Okay, so I am hoping that many of you who have gone to church for a number of years already have in your mind a picture or an idea of what a disciple is. But recently, when I was preparing for this series, and incidentally, our shepherds had asked us last year to consider doing a series on discipleship. So this is something coming from their hearts and the minister's hearts. As I was preparing to do this series, I thought to myself, I would look on other churches' websites and see what they called disciple or what ministries they called discipleship ministries. And here's what I found. It was a little confusing. It was kind of puzzling. Churches use this word to mean all kinds of different things. And so you might get on one website and you find Discipleship 101, and this is their new member orientation class. You'll get on another website and you'll see Discipleship, and this is a mentoring ministry. And yet another website will talk about Discipleship, and what they mean is evangelism. And then a fourth one will talk about Discipleship, and what they mean is it's a way for you to mature personally in your inner spiritual life with Jesus. And so The question that I think is maybe a little difficult, because we don't always use this word, is what is a disciple? And specifically, biblically, this morning by the time we're done, I hope that the Bible will help us answer this as we get a window into Jesus' world and the view of that world that they had. But to put it simply, you could use the word apprentice, or you could use the word follower. And, And even the word follower can be troubling because it can mean so many different things things. 
There are so many ways that you can follow someone else. Some of them are less creepy than others. I had a follower one time. When I was a sophomore at Harding, I had a follower. I had a small four to five inch high follower. It was a duck. We weren't supposed to have pets in the dorms, and so today will be the day that I publicly repent of my sin. I had a small duck that we got from a a little animal store in Searcy, and this duck I named Lunch. Now, this wasn't to traumatize him, but I thought it was really funny whenever I would be leaving class and somebody would say, what are you doing or where are you going? And I would say, going to get lunch. And then they'd see me a few minutes later walking around campus with a duck trailing behind me because what do small birds do? They imprint on people or on objects or on other birds in their natural setting, but if you get them young enough, they imprint on you. And so this duck would do insanely cute things. Like, for instance, I would walk across campus and the duck would follow. A few minutes later, there'd be a whole line of chicks behind us. And I don't mean the birds. This was a great girl magnet for me. And I had lots of conversations that I didn't usually get to have. And so Duck was my sidekick. He was my wingman. He was my goose to my maverick, right? And this guy would even, when I'd, when I'd hop in the shower, he would jump in, and it was really cute. I would be, you know, in this dorm shower or whatever, and it's got the little, the little uh, shower screen, and then I would, the first time it really scared me, I saw something moving, and, and I jumped, and I, you know, almost slipped, and then, and then here comes this little duck, and he boop, pops over the ledge, and he's just preening his feathers and shaking in the water, because he followed me everywhere I went. I had a follower, but I'm not sure that that's exactly the kind of follower that we're talking about when we think about discipleship in the Bible. Because there were certain things that this duck couldn't do, of course. And there's certain types of following in which maybe we do it for a season. Maybe we don't intend to do everything that the other person does. Maybe they have some type of skill that we will never have. But I want you to think about what is the type of discipleship Scripture is talking about. Here's the, here's the specific question. What kind of follower is Jesus looking for? What kind of follower are we talking about when we use the word disciple? And to put another picture in your mind, as we get a little bit more specific, something that maybe relates to all of you, all of you were at one time children. And like, there's a little guy here at the bottom of the picture, but I wanted you to see the men first. Look at how the men are walking down the street. Now look at this cute little guy. He's got his hands behind his back just the way he sees the men doing it. Some of you have seen your children do this, and some of you are getting to see grandchildren do the same thing where they imitate the adult. My dad taught me to shave much the same way that this dad and son are doing it in the photograph in front of you. In fact, I remember the first time that I really needed to shave, and I didn't know how, and I was afraid I would cut myself, and my dad kind of helped me through it. And the really funny thing was what he wanted me to do was to make a face like this. Because all that needed shaved was my upper lip. And so what he's doing, while, and not even realizing it, while he is helping me, is he was making the same face. Because he wanted me to make that face. And so, you know, some of you have done this or seen this. Here's a little girl wearing her mother's shoes. How many of you have seen a daughter or a granddaughter do this? Right, you've gone into the back room or whatever, and there's the little girl in the closet trying on mama's beautiful shoes. Well, let me tell you what. 
when I did this one, I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> one time my mom came back and she found me trying on some pantyhose and I got a lecture like you wouldn't believe. And I guess that was a good thing. Now later on in our family life, you know, I was the first kid. They were always the most, most worried about me. I was the one that was supposed to die or something. And so they got a little bit more easygoing with the other children. And by the time my youngest brother, Ethan, was about five, one day we were all out in the little family swimming pool having fun in the summertime, and he comes out of the house. Well, he couldn't find his swim trunks. But what he could find was a pair of our mother's underwear. <laughs> he couldn't figure out how to get them to stay on his little hips. So he took the straps, pulled them up over his shoulders, and came strutting out of the house. Now, where I got a lecture, he got a photograph in the family album. <laughs> but this is what we do to learn how to live. We don't know how to do it. We learn how to use tools from watching dad use tools. And then here's the other thing about discipleship in the Bible, although I hope that picture is still working in your minds. This isn't just an accidental, incidental, once in a while mentioned by Jesus. This specific kind of discipleship, this watching and modeling that happens in Scripture is mentioned over 250 times in the Gospels and Acts. This is the primary term for what a follower of Jesus looks like. It occurs as a noun and as a verb. Christian only occurs in the Bible three times. Now, this isn't one of those messages where I'm asking you to go out into the community and say things like, well, I prefer not to use the term Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus. You can say that if you want to, but that's not really the heart of my message today. One of these three instances in Scripture of the word Christian is where Peter uses it, and he says to the early church, don't be ashamed if they mock you and call you Christian, be proud that you wear that name. And so this is a name that we can use, and it's a name that we can revere, but think about how confusing the term Christian is. If churches use disciple in four or five different ways on their websites, how many ways has Christian been defined over the centuries? How many different types of theologies and ideologies? How many different types of doctrines? Different modes and means and manners of worship have been defined as the Christian way, as the only Christian way. And isn't it interesting that Scripture, that the early church wasn't so interested in labeling themselves as Christian, but they were interested in letting people know, I'm a disciple of Jesus. The definition of what Christian is is a disciple of Jesus, and a disciple's a follower. And here's a scripture that will help us get into Jesus' world. Luke 6, verse 40, is one of the most important verses on discipleship in the New Testament. This comes from the New Living Translation. And the reason I selected this version for this morning is because they decided in their English version to use the word student. Now, the word disciples is a fantastic word. I'm not throwing the word out. We'll retain it and we'll use it. But the word students gets at the heart of what disciple meant in the first century. Students, or 
as you might find in the footnote of your NLT, also disciples or learners are not greater, Jesus said, than the teacher. In other words, this is a a relationship that we all innately understand. Someone has something to teach and someone else has something to learn. The greater is the teacher and the lesser is the student. But Jesus goes on to qualify what he wants us to become in the next sentence. The student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. The student who is mature who is ready, who is released for service. The student who is fully trained will be like the teacher. And this sounds an awfully lot like a type of teaching, like a type of learning that we've used in our society for thousands of years, only more recently to be replaced by college education in many settings, but not in every setting. Apprenticeship is an old and honored tradition, right? Apprenticeship is when you've got a person who's learning a unique and specific skill very well from a master craftsman. Isn't it interesting that this idea of being a disciple comes to us primarily from Jesus, who was himself a master craftsman? What did Jesus do in his early career? Everyone probably knows this. Say it out loud. What was he? He was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. Think about what that would have been like for him. Jesus didn't awaken one day at about 13 or 14, and Mary says, Jesus, it's really time you start pulling your weight around here. And Joseph is like, yeah, bring an income. And so Jesus walks out into a shop that he randomly finds and picks up some tools and says, I'm going to build stuff. That wouldn't even make any sense. We assume that Joseph was teaching him the whole time, showing him how to use the lathe, showing him when to use a specific type of hand drill, or when to use hammer and nails, or maybe an early type of a screw, or how to set up the pulley to lift something that was heavy up on to the table. All of these types of tools that don't come innately have to be learned from the master craftsman. Don't believe me? Try this. Take a picture of a piece of furniture that you admire. Take a picture of a chair or a table that you really like. And assuming that you aren't already a proficient carpenter, go to Lowe's with only only armed with your picture and try to ascertain which pieces of lumber, which tools do I need, how much should I spend on this, and why, by the time I'm getting ready to check out, does all of this cost a whole lot more than the one I took a picture of? This is what I did yesterday trying to make Jenna a birthday present. I realized I'm not a master craftsman. I'm going to have to get a little bit of help, maybe from Walton or someone else. Here's a picture, a modern example of a, a, a society in which we still have these apprentices and journeymen and masters. Electricians still use this style of teaching. Why? Because there's danger all around these guys in that picture. Electricity isn't tame. It's not something that you just let people have a certification in because they sat in class and they listened. 
Because guess what most college students do in class? They sleep, amen, brother. (laughs) And so what if this power of electricity in your home and the danger that comes with it is being controlled and routed only by a kid who was sleeping the whole time in his class? Would you feel safe living in that home? You shouldn't. And so we don't allow that kind of teaching. Instead, you've got to try, be watched, learn by trying, corrected, sharpened, trying again and again until proficient in the use of electricity or in carpentry or in whatever other discipline. And the last week as we were talking about Jesus' strategy how Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, and these disciples are making a mess of the ministry. I mentioned that Jesus had called them to him, and he was sending them out to try it out for themselves. Over and over and over, Jesus does this. He sends them out, and he says, you give them something to eat. They try to heal the boy with the disease. They try to decide, how should we respond to the city in Samaria that doesn't want Jesus to come here? And over and over and over, he is watching them. They are watching him. They're learning by trying. They're being corrected and sharpened, trying again and again until proficient. This is the style of teaching that Jesus models. Open your Bibles to Matthew 28. This scripture is especially important to the shepherds and ministers of this congregation. And today, instead of putting the whole passage here on the screen, I want you to look at it in your Bible and look at the screen with me to see the highlight of these verbs that are in this passage. This is what we call the Great Commission. It's after Jesus' resurrection, and he comes to his disciples, the 11 who are still alive, and he says to them to go out into the world and to make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them. And this passage is at the heart of the mission statement of this church. This church's statement is that we're here to make and mature disciples for Jesus Christ. And so in this verse, you see the heart of that mission statement. And I wanted you to see these verbs just the way I've put them on the screen so that you could get this idea or capture the mindset of the Greek words behind this verse. Because only one of these words is a command. And the other three are verbs that help you understand the setting or the situation or the accompanying action. And so Jesus very literally says, while you're going, or on the way, as you go, make disciples. On the journey, make disciples. And how? Well, by baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so Jesus says this this making of disciples has two facets to it. There's a making and there's a maturing, as it says in our vision statement. There is a moment in which someone becomes a disciple, a moment of salvation, a moment of transformation, but then there's a lifetime of learning. And it isn't just head knowledge. It isn't just school. It's an apprenticeship. It's trying it on for size. This is the way the early church understood the Great Commission. In the book of Acts, we read about them calling the church the way. Several times in the book of Acts, it is called the way. 
The lifestyle of Jesus is called the way. Because as you're going, on the way, as you go with Jesus, as you follow the rabbi, on the way, make disciples. In fact, in the book of Acts, the word disciples, either in the verb or the noun form, is used 29 more times. Most of those 250 times are in the Gospels, but almost 30 of them are in the book of Acts. I didn't put all of these on the screen today because you can go and find them for yourself. It's not hard to look this up with a, a Bible dictionary. But you see phrases in Acts like this. Uh, you see Paul in a city with Barnabas, and it says they won many disciples there. And the actual Greek verb behind the phrase, they won many disciples, is the same verb Jesus uses in the Great Commission. They made disciples. They discipled people. You see the early church questioning Paul and his conversion because they're not sure whether he's trustworthy because he's been killing Christians and arresting Christians. And this is what it says in Acts. They weren't convinced yet that he had become a disciple. In another story, it says that coming to a certain town, they found disciples there. And in each one of these instances in Acts, it is repainting the picture and retelling the story, the early church's imagination for what we're supposed to be based on what Jesus had taught them, which is that we're to be disciples. And again, in Acts, only two times is the word Christian used, and it's used by enemies and opponents who don't want to be one or who start calling them that because they don't know what else to call them. And so there's nothing wrong with the term, but the way the people saw themselves. Jesus' model follow me, be an apprentice, be my disciple. In 1996, a movie came out called Fly Away Home. How many of you saw this movie 20 years ago? Yeah. I was a, a middle school student, and so this was a movie that we watched because it was clean, primarily. And then my brothers and I watched it several times, and it tells the story, a dramatization of a real-life story, about how this young girl finds a nest of goose eggs and they're raised on her property. But an authority figure comes and tells the family, these geese can't stay here. If they begin to fly and make messes everywhere and harass people, uh, we're going to have to clip their wings. These geese, if they're going to be tame and live with a family, are not allowed to fly. And so it's troubling to the girl, and it's troubling to the dad in the movie, and they begin to devise a plan. Uh, you see, these geese, because they don't know where to go, aren't going to be able to migrate somewhere where they can be safe and appreciated. And so the family builds this, a small, lightweight glider that looks an awful lot like a big mother goose. And this movie would be almost unbelievable unless you knew that in the 1980s, a man actually did this to lead some geese that didn't know how to migrate home. This movie continues to sharpen the idea we've been working on today. Why model discipleship and apprenticeship in Jesus' style? Why is this the model of Jesus? And the simple answer brothers and sisters, is that we don't know how to get home. We don't know where it is that God's trying to lead us. 
We're like some animals that never got to see modeled the right way of living, the best, fullest kind of life until we saw Jesus. And in watching him, we saw the way and we began to imagine with him what life could look like under his leading. There's two things that I want you to take away from this today. And there's a bunch of scriptures that will kind of be the basis for this. They'll hold this up. And we're not going to get to spend a lot of time reading any of them, but you're going to get to write them down so that you can come back and look at them later. But the first of the two things is that this is what discipleship is, this apprenticeship, this following. It is an imitation of Jesus. Disciples, at their very core, imitate Jesus. This is the first and the primary thing that makes you Christian. Churches all across the world have turned Christian into so many different things to where sometimes you'll come to a church and you think what it means to be a Christian is to stand up for social justice and that that's what Christians do. You might land in another church and you think what it means to be a Christian is to be extremely reverent and, and to have this pious and removed lifestyle like a monastery. You might arrive at another church and you think what it means to be a Christian is that we have a specific and right way of worshiping on Sundays. You could end up at some other church and maybe think that being a Christian just means all I'm really supposed to do is have an inner private relationship with Jesus and it doesn't even involve the church. It's just spirituality between me and him. But primarily, all of those things have to be tested and based on and tried out under this model that disciples imitate Jesus. You've got to find him doing it. You've got to see him leading it for it to be innately Christian. Here's another verse from Ephesians that shows this continuing to work its way into the early church. Paul wrote to them, imitate God, therefore. Imitate God. This Greek word is, is the, the verb mimetai, directly leading to our word imitate or mimicking. But usually when we, when we think of mimic, we think of somebody making fun. And imitation has a little bit more of the connotation of something honest and true. And so this verb has been translated, imitate God. Copy him, model him, look for what the Father's doing, look for what the Son is doing, look for what the Spirit is doing. And when you see that those three are in agreement and you can imitate it, guess what? You're becoming a disciple of Jesus. Imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Here's the second thing. This is the other true thing about discipleship, and this is why so many different church websites or definitions of discipleship can get a little confusing. The second thing that's true about discipleship is that disciples... Imitate disciples imitating Jesus. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? I would really like to wake you up and leave you here not yawning, so everybody's going to say this with me. Are you ready? Disciples imitate disciples imitating Jesus. One more time. Disciples imitate disciples imitating Jesus. Now, I'll try to say it seven times fast, but not right now. This truth is the other half of what discipleship is. This is why Jesus says, go out into the world and make disciples. 
Why is the church supposed to model this for each other? Why can I say that in serving an owl that you will learn a lot about following Jesus? 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul writing to this church says, I urge you to imitate me. This is the same verb, mimetai. This is the same word when he wrote to the Ephesians, imitate God. He says also imitate me. Either Paul's got a huge ego problem or this isn't truly Christian or imitating a Christian is a way of imitating Jesus. One of those has got to be true. Either this theology is way off base and this is false teaching or this matches what he says in Ephesians, that imitating me is a way of learning how to imitate God. Look at the next passage. 1 Thessalonians 2.14. To this church, he says, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. The people of your own region gave you the hardest time about becoming Christians, disciples. In this way, you imitated the believers. You imitated other Christians. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea, who because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people. And so you Thessalonians have learned how to imitate other believers in order to be faithful to Jesus. Earlier in 1 Thessalonians, he says this, you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. You see what Paul does here. He says that in the one act of suffering, you've imitated both us and the Lord. Both other believers specifically the apostles, and also Jesus Christ. How about this one from 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? one of my favorite passages right now in all of the Bible. Paul writing to these Corinthians says simply, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Follow my example in so much as that example matches Jesus Christ. Don't follow the parts of me that don't line up with the parts of God. Do not imitate the parts of me that aren't imitations of Jesus Christ. But do imitate me in so far as I'm imitating Jesus Christ. Disciples imitate disciples who are imitating Christ. See, discipleship works in two ways. I see Jesus in front of me and I follow him. I see others behind me, and so long as they're following Jesus in me, I allow them to keep on coming and keep on following. I disciple others. I teach them too. And so God makes this chain, an unbroken chain of link after link that goes down through the centuries of people reading scripture and passing it on, people modeling how to serve seniors and passing it on, people reading the New Testament together and making little brochures like this one and challenging each other, read the New Testament and look inside of it for what you can obey and passing it on. And the chain continues to grow through the centuries of disciples making disciples. This is what we mean when we say, be a follower of Jesus. Follow Jesus. If we can help you in this today, to start the journey or to continue on towards maturity, if you need a message of hope, and you need to pray with our shepherds. They'll be with you at the front. Some of them will be in the back waiting, and they would love to receive you. Come as we stand and sing our invitation song.